you've got 90 minutes when our time is free on the Music Relic Podcast with Mark Perry. So pull up a chair and have a cold one or two. Welcome to Episode 7 of the Music Relish Podcast. Tonight's show, we're going to discuss a great Porcupine Tree album in Abstentia. I hope my buddies like it as much as I do. We'll have a one-hit wonder, and we'll be discussing a legendary ballroom, the Winterland Ballroom. Let's get to it. How you doing, guys? Doing good. Doing all right. How's it going, Mark? It's going great. I love the hot. I love the heat. I'm just joking. So let's do it. Mark Mark is in Mark Smith. Yeah. Yeah, you've heard of him? I've heard of him. I've heard of you, too. You're Perry Dinovich. I am. <laughs> You're loose. certain Lichon. circles, I'm famous. Or infamous, anyway. <laughs> infamous or famous. <laughs> yep. Subscribe to us on YouTube. If you like what you're hearing, click like. Subscribe to us. We're also available on Facebook. And yeah, where else? And, um, all over. All over. All over the interweb. Just, Facebook, just, Anchor, and Google. Just stand in the street. You'll hear us. Okay. And YouTube. Yep. And YouTube. Yep. All right. So this is good, too. It's good for the soul, right? Yeah, absolutely. Music discussion is great. Just ignores all the stuff going on today. Just talk about what you like. It's great. So anyway. So, we, yeah, um, Mark, do you want to uh, throw in a bit about Porcupine Tree before yeah. Lou and I get started on the review? Yeah. So, yeah, last week I asked you guys. Uh, it was my turn, and I asked you to listen to an album in Abstentia. Went nuts on which Porcupine Tree album to ask you to listen to. Mm-hmm. So before we do the uh, reviews, I know there's a lot of people that don't know who they are, so I just want to do a quick rundown about them so people know where they're, where they're coming from. Porcupine Tree was formed in 1987, really not formed, started by Steve Wilson. It was him doing everything. It was basically a fictional band. He thought it would be fun to act like he had this band Porcupine Tree, make people think that it's like a spinal tap thing. He started putting out cassettes, all his stuff, they started to sell, started to take off. So... They put out, started putting out regular albums. And that was their first phase, which was like a psychedelic space rock phase. After, by the second album, he started to bring in musicians. And those musicians were Steve Barbieri on keyboards, Colin Edward on bass, and Chris Matlin on drums. By the time they did Signify, he decided to make the band a full band. They decided to make that a full band album. So that was when, with that album, that's when Porcupine Tree became a band, a true band. That was the first album? No, no. So when he was using musicians to kind of fill out, they did a couple albums. Uh, One of them was called The Sky Moves Sideways in 1995. That got them on the radar with progressive music fans because this joke about progressive music became really serious. Steve was doing a great job. And in What what joke about... um prog music or progressive well, he was, music he was putting out cassettes under this band name porcupine tree right. the, like mm-hmm. it's a fake band yeah that yeah, one he didn't think it would go band. anywhere yeah that one it, it took off yeah so anyway when they put out the sky moves sideways which has a 35 minute title track um a lot of pink floyd fans liked it and this was after pink floyd stopped recording it was you know mid 90s so they were even labeled the the pink floyd of the 90s and that's kind of where they kind of came on my radar but i didn't listen to them mm-hmm. but i heard about them so with Signify, they became a true band recording. That was a, That's my second favorite album of theirs, by the way. That was in 1996. So that was their first phase. 
1998, they entered their second phase. Steve wanted to kind of like maybe appeal to more people. So they went into an alternative pop approach and they put out an album called Stupid Dream, which was very well received. And they had a single um, called uh, More Than This and Don't Hate Me was on it, which is another one of my favorite songs. Very pop oriented in some songs. That trend continued when they did in uh, 2000, they uh, released Light Bulb Sun. And it was another album with combination. He still did some long songs, very dark songs. But there was a song, single on that album called Piano Lessons, which was very popish. The video, I cringe when I see it. It was that 90s alternative look, you know. Uh, that album contained though, a song called Russia on Ice, another excellent dark song. But they were they could not crack America. So they did one tour of America. They lost their shirts. They were playing tiny places. Luckily, they got the interest of uh, Lava Records, part of Atlantic Records. So in 2001, they signed with Lava Atlantic. That starts their third phase, which is called progressive metal. I don't like to call them that, but that's what they were labeled. Um, so in 2002, they uh, released the album we're going to talk about tonight, In Abstentia. And it's got a really nice album cover. I mean, it's great, you know. Pretty cool, yeah. Um, but anyway, so a little couple things about this album. This was a big album for them. It was the U.S. They got to record at Avatar Studios in New York City. First time they were in the United States recording. They had a huge budget. Really worked out well for them. The tricky thing was three weeks prior to them coming to the U.S. to record, Chris yeah. Matlin, their drummer, left the band. He was not happy with the direction they were going in. So they contacted uh, Gavin Harrison, and they really wanted him to be like a session drummer. They didn't intend to keep him. Uh, Gavin came from a totally different background, lots of pop music. He toured with Iggy Pop, no pun intended. So he didn't play metal or progressive before he joined, well, played with Porcupine Tree. It was a total success when he came to America. First of all, Avatar has one of the best sounding rooms for drums. I just watched a documentary on the making of it, and it was just, he was, he had two weeks earmarked to do his drum tracks. He did them in less than a week. And uh, they realized he fit in good with the band. Thank God he stayed. He's one of the best drummers in the world. Um, so anyway, they did the album. And the musical direction, like I said, I hate to say progressive metal. It's more than that. But um, it was engineered by Paul Northfield, who worked with Rush, Queensryche, and Dream Theater, among many other bands. And, um, you know, it came out like a bang. Like, it introduced many U.S. fans to Porcupine Tree. Not the first album I heard. Sat gave me another album. Uh, at, right before the album came out, Wilson was friendly with uh, Michael Eckerfield uh, from Opeth, and he got into the music of Meshuga and Opeth, and he produced an Opeth album, Blackwater Park. I've, These I've bands were very stuff. heavy. Yeah, yeah. So they liked him. And so he was definitely moving away from the uh, the pop. Um, the album itself, it has a loose concept on themes related to serial killers, youth gone wrong, and criticism of the modern world, which criticism of the modern world is a theme in many Porcupine Tree albums. Steve Wilson said that his mother was a lover of books about serial killers, true crime. So he read a lot of those books. And oh, what, he, what he, yeah, what he wanted to do was look into what fascinated him about serial killers. And I guess a lot of people is 
what is missing in their soul to cause them to do the things they do, horrible things. So um, his, his personal favorite book was about a couple called uh, the Wests in UK. I think they were in the thirties. They were a really bad serial killer. I mean, no serial killer is good, but it is gruesome book. And his question was, like I said, he said he couldn't understand why they were so cruel, but was fascinated because he couldn't understand what happened to their soul, what happened to them. It kind of affected his plans for the album cover. The original artwork was old pictures of families from the sixties with the father's face torn out. So maybe these people had childhood trauma. Yeah, one of the ideas. And uh, thank God they, yeah. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> yeah, this is, yeah. So um, it's always a nurture versus nature thing. Yeah. So if you listen, like a lot of the songs, you can hear that, but not all the songs are about murders. <laughs> uh, there's a couple songs, Sound of Music. I, you know, that was about people not engaging with music the same way anymore. And this was 2001. We're still going through that. Uh, Heart Attack and a Lay-By. And that's actually a horrible end to a romantic story. It's about a man who had a just a horrible fight with his partner, went out, drank, whatever, and he was coming home to make up with her. And on the way home, he has a heart attack and dies and never makes it home. That's classic Steve Wilson. He, he said, I could never write a movie. It would be the most depressing movie ever. <laughs> then he got collapsed the light into earth, which was a requiem for nine eleven. Uh, it was about a year after, you know, that that happened. Now, how do you know these things? There's a great documentary on the making of this album. And it's directed by the guy that did the album cover. And, uh, it's like, it just shows him an avatar, it interviews him now. Um, mm -hmm. and it's, it's fascinating. It's, you got to really be into music to watch it. It's not like, you know, there's, you see them trying to get guitar sounds and everything. But it's funny is the song Trains, I was surprised in this interview, Trains, which I consider one of the best, they didn't like it. They did not like it. And on the first tour, the first tour right after the album came out, they didn't even play it. The fans started wanting it, so they, they played it, which is just one of those things with musicians, what you like, they don't like. It's very complicated, you know. Mm -hmm. But Steve brought up something really good, and it's it's what I like about the opening track, Darkest Eyes. It comes in blazing like a metal song. So you turn up the radio, and as he says in his own pompous style, it's a very simple riff. Anybody could have written that riff, you know. But um, <laughs> after the main riff comes in, it goes into a very melodic acoustic guitars. Well, and, let, let us yeah. let us review it. Yeah. The, the, so okay. Lou has a lot of ideas, and I have a lot of sure. ideas, Just too. Just one more thing on this, though. The album didn't sell well at all. It was kind of a dud when it came out. Lava promoted it, but maybe not the right way to the right people. They were probably promoting it to the Matchbox 20 crowd because that was their big artist. <laughs> Ain't going to work. But since wow. it came out, it sold every year. 20 years on, it came out in 2002. So 20 years on, it's still selling. you got new generations of kids buying it. And I think mm -hmm. that's keeping the interest in Porcupine Tree and Steve Wilson going. And uh, even though... He considers it their uh, their peak, their artistic peak, and he said we painted ourselves into a corner. That's probably why he kind of let the band go. Um, but they had more success with Fear of a Blank Planet, which is the album that Sat gave me, which was what got me into them. Uh, but this album for me is my favorite, and uh, I'm done with my horrible history. Okay, go ahead, guys. The album is long. Do you it's want to go, 60. Lou? Um, yeah, I just went. <laughs> <laughs> really? <laughs> you have a bottle? It, it's a, it's, a long, it's an hour long, yeah. Yep. It's 68 minutes and 20 seconds long. It's tw There's 12 songs in the album. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I gotta tell you, I, I listened. I listened to it about three times, Mark. It's really good. It's either I, in its form, it's really good. It's really well recorded and mixed. Um, just the way you can hear the keyboards, and there's some, you know, there's some things there that aren't even all that necessarily loud, but you can hear where they are. Yeah. Um, overall, I, I liked it. I mean, I, I really did. It was uh, what I one of the things I liked about it most is that you know, it's, I, I was getting some aspects of metal to it, but I wouldn't say it's a. He- I wouldn't call them a heavy metal band. Yeah. Or even so much like you said, prog metal. There's more. There's some pop in there. Um, I'm hearing a lot of the a lot of influences. Some weird influences popping up on, on some of the stuff. Um, like you know, the first couple of songs. I'm hearing a lot of Peter Gabriel, early Genesis, in there. Um, I even yeah. heard some, and also that riff in the beginning that of uh, was the Blackest Eyes. I, I thought Max Webster, the Canadian band. Yeah. For a second, I thought Max Webster. It's they were contemporaries of Rush. Um, well, let me getting, play the riff, Lou, and uh, let me just play the opening riff. Yeah. Okay. Slow bed. Play this in a car loud. That is a great riff. It is a great yeah. riff. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. How is he rated as a guitar player? Is he considered in the circles of not, well-known? Not a virtuoso. He, he did yeah, what no, no. he had to do, and he played very good guitar. In, uh, in, he, wrote, he writes good songs on guitar. Um, mm-hmm. He was much better in Porcupine Tree. When he went solo, he got a side guitar to so play all the solos. So, um, But, yeah, he, no, he was excellent. They, uh, but Steve Wilson is one of those guitar players on that. That's all him on that song. album. He plays That's all, all the guitar. Every Porcupine Tree album, I'm, he plays all the guitar. I'm hearing some pop rush. Um, the vo- I like the vocal. I like the vocal because it's not threatening. Mm. Even though the music can be kind mm-hmm. of heavy, he's he's got a ver- it's like a kind of a lighter voice. It's not this you know it's not a powerhouse. He, he knows how to record it. Obviously, um, the melodies were great. I like the way he's layering his voice and stuff. Um, on some of these courses, this can sound kind of weird. It's like Duncan. It almost sounds like a Duncan Sheik. It's got. It's all. I don't know. You know the song. I'm barely breathing. Yeah. There's a certain feel to that. I'm getting on a couple of those courses early on in the album. I think it's a good thing. I'm just not. There was not a, a knock or anything like that. I said, "What does that sound like? Something familiar?" So there's elements of accessibility to the music. So this was their attempt to make not necessarily more commercial album, but this was a musical change for them, wasn't it? Yeah. Um. So, but um, that one song you're talking about, trains. But that there's a break in there. It's like English banjo folk, and I thought that was the intro into the next song. But it's not. It's in that song. But um, another thing, same. I think it's a good guitar solo. Um, I'm hearing early Genesis in there, and really, really cool though. But you know, yeah, that's you know two songs into it. That's really, really neat. What I like in Trains is how uh, I, my favorite song. My, yeah, my favorite song is um, I have a couple of favorites. Lips, Lips of Ashes. That's a favorite. Um. Also, uh, I like the creator has a, a master tape. That's a wacky song. That's a weirdest song on the album, I think. And um, Prodigal. I just those we were standout tracks. Uh, creator is a master tape that Gavin said it exhausted him recording the drums on that, and he said it's brutal mm-hmm. to play live. Really brutal. Yeah, yeah. The, the drumming is solid. I mean, the album, the drumming is solid throughout. Yeah, um, and he played. There was bands where you think you got a feel of. Yeah. yeah. So that's. So he never he never played much like odd. 
tempo. Yeah, he must have had some fun. He must he he played in the basement, you know, whether he was he no matter to play in the band, but I don't know. Yeah, oh obviously, I but think, he went from just he went from pop that. he played I think for a couple pop singers in England that I knew of. I just can't remember the names. Huh. I guess he he just yeah, he was able to use his chops and then, you know, after Porcupine Tree he became a full fledged member of King Crimson, so he's he's accepted. Oh that's that's right. Yeah. That's right. Well, well deserved. Well learned. Other, you know, a bunch of good stuff in there. Um, I, I just think it was very eclectic. Um, now, there's one song. It's kind of funny. And it is called. Oh, the song Prodigal. Blue Oyster Cult should cover that damn song. Yeah, can you play some of that, Perry? The vocal, a Buck Dharma could sing that song. I know I'm going on again. But that's one thing of all the songs I know. So that was the most accessible straight ahead. Straightforward yeah, rock song yeah. in the bunch. No, uh, was I that a single? Pro- I don't have Prodigal here. Okay. Um, it's good. It's great. It's a great riff, but uh, I just think, I said, wow, that was, um, it has a mid seventies rock sound. To yeah. It. Uh, really good. Yeah. It does. Yeah. I think, uh, I think, I know trains was a single, but I think that sound of music should have been a single. Um, but he play he plays a live solo and the, the audience goes nuts. Mm. Uh, mm. Anything else on it? Yeah, anything uh, else? Oh, what do you wait, Perry? What do you think? I, mean, I, did, oh, I gave well, a handful of songs I thought were kind of ones that I yeah. I thought. Uh, well, I'm going song number one, "Blackest Eyes." I like. Uh, in fact, we, we queued it up for Lou before, so let me just uh, carry on with it. And uh, this is kind of what Mark said as well. <laughs> There it is. Where? What happened? Now it's now it's English. Yeah. Right. It's, it's like a pop magical, li- magical. Yeah. It, there's the thing. It went from uh, you know from that it sounded very metal to me. Then suddenly it's soft English. I like it. Now very, the next song is called very Prodigal. English. Very English, yeah. yeah. The next, the next song's tra- called Prodigal. No, it's called Trains is the next song on the album, but the one I was mentioning right, Yeah, well, Prodigal. all right, so I I heard it. I must have heard it out of sequence then, so I'll go with Prodigal next. And I did not like the drums on Prodigal. I thought it was the complete wrong beat for that, for mm, that okay. song, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. I just thought the beat was wrong. The slide guitar was great. It reminded me a little bit of Led Zeppelin, even. Mm. Yeah. And the melodies, what a great melody on the song. This, to me, the, the drum beat kind of threw me on that song. I thought it could have been a little more laid back, but well, who am no, I? The vocal melodies on that, that's classic Steve Wilson, those vocal melodies. Yeah. Yeah, yep, absolutely. BOC should cover it. Yeah. You said you do have a cue? No, I I um I don't have that one, Prodigal. No. I have the next one queued up though. It's called Wedding Nails. <laughs> it's called Trains. Very you got to sing a lot of sequence. Like, yeah, I know, I know, but that's that's, that's the way I heard it. Yeah. So <laughs> Okay. You so, had a special um, you had a special copy, didn't you? I, I did, yeah. <laughs> I had the YouTube copy. So you you're not gonna play Lips and Assholes? <laughs> no. <laughs> Lips so and Wedding Nails. <laughs> Wedding Nails, uh, the guitar riffs are great. The brutal song. And it, even that, it reminded a hard, me yeah. a little bit of Tubular <clears throat> Bells, a little bit at the ending. 
It had a great mm. ending, the song. A great riffs in there, too. Yeah, Wedding Nails. I'm going to cue it up here, see if we can come up with it, all right? Wow, reminiscent of a lot, right? Now, that's a killer beat yeah. for this song. That's a killer. That's a killer riff and a killer yeah. beat. Yep. All right, that was solid. Wedding I think nails. it's so dark at the end with those sound effects, and that's that's got to be serial killer influenced. In my, you know, this was around the time uh, yeah, of uh, it, Buffalo it, Bill and all that stuff. So you know, what a naughty boy he was. Yeah. <laughs> yeah um, let's see, uh, listen to the lyrics. I wasn't picking up any particular theme. You know, I wasn't. I wasn't reading them. Sometimes if you mm -hmm. read them and sometimes in the context of music, I wasn't getting, I wasn't really necessarily picking up on a right. discernible theme. Maybe I'm not getting the point. I don't think he was singing necessarily about a serial killer doing what he did, but it was songs about things that have happened to people it's, it's, to maybe cause them. To, right. There's like stories behind yeah. there, yeah. allusions too. Yeah. yeah. And everyone interprets, I mean, maybe that's why Mark saw that documentary where he's explaining what these songs mean, because I have no idea what they yeah. mean. That's cool mm -hmm. too. What's this song? It's called. Oh, something you know, something? Oh, yeah. check it out with them um, with wedding nails. I noticed I wrote something down. I thought the song was over, but it comes back. <laughs> right, the, that's the, the, the ending I was talking about. Yeah, yeah, that yep. that, that, yeah. that caught me because you know it seemed fairly long. Yeah, yep. and um, at that point I said, "Well," what? and that ending I wrote down. I wrote down and says it's like a Vincent Price thing going on. It's almost like a horror movie. Yeah. I said so, it reminded me of tubular bells in a, in okay, a strange okay, yeah. sense. Or, or, yeah. or, total, or totally tubular bells. Yep. That was that was the sequel. That was the second record. Um, What's the song that... that uh, yeah, and after that, that Blue Oyster, that Blue Oyster Cultish song, you think it has the wrong drums on it. No, uh, yeah. yeah. Yep. What's the song uh, Dreamer has a... Has a... The creator. Dreamer has a... Water the creator has a master tape. Creator, yeah, that's the yeah, song. That one. I couldn't read. My that's own actually the song that exhausted uh, Gavin when they played alive. <laughs> Reminded me a little bit of Nine Inch Nails, a little bit. Yeah, it, it's, it's like progressive reggae in the beginning. It's got this kind of almost like Rush did that kind of thing too. Yeah. Um, and that, and then, when he does this one fast riff, it's muddy, but not. It's very articulate, but it's a weird sound. It's just, I, I couldn't hum it out. It's just like a bunch of notes. Somebody's doing it on the, on the guitar. And then this song that I have listed next, it's a... Uh, Trains. It's a great Trains. song. It's a great song. It's a really good soft song with a big ending. It has some banjo mm -hmm. in it. And this is the second song in the album, right? Yes. And you're right running order. Nice melody, and I like the way they blend the vocals in, too. It's got a very soft voice. Yeah. Nice. That's nice. typical Richard Barbieri, the keyboardist. He doesn't do solos. He does textures. He's very good that way. Yeah. There's a lot of text Which on the record. It's a good way to play keyboards as opposed to the Bon Jovi, you know. <laughs> <laughs> they showed in the documentary Tracking Days, he was the only one in the studio, and he's adding all these sound effects. He's just there by himself, you know, doing it all. 
it was recorded in digital, which was not as common in 2002. They, they, um, See, I uh, wanted to ask you that because I wanted to ask you if that's a tape recording or digital. Because to me, it sounds digital. So when they went to yeah. when they first went to right. Avatar, uh, when they were recording Gavin Harrison's drums, they were going to do it in analog, and the rest of the album was going to go analog. They ordered like twenty reels of two-inch tape, which is expensive, mm-hmm. but they had the chance to record digital. I can't remember the system they used, and they honestly didn't a comparison analog digital. And they said the digital was better. And sometimes, you know, it depends on where it's recorded. It's all about the engineer. And Paul Northfield knew it. Depends on a doing. lot of things. Yeah. So, yes. Oh, yep. It has warmth to it. Yeah. You know, they, they run everything once through tubes. And then they, yeah. Um, you know, I was thinking, too, um, you know, the, the previous song has the Heart Attack and a Lay-By. That's, I was hearing Alan Parsons in that. Mm. Uh, and Alan Parsons filled that. And also, um, uh, what is it? I forgot. Anyway. But yes, I, that was an influence I, I picked up on there. But I wasn't. I'm not getting like I don't like as far as the metal aspect. I wouldn't know who to lean to. Well, you got you know he had just sound, they might resemble like besides maybe some Russian there, but not on like, I think what happened is he was into Meshuggah. That's unique. He was into Opeth. He was friends with the singer of Opeth. Opeth is actually a really good band. They've stopped being the cookie cookie monster vocals. They're actually turned into a good progressive band. Hmm. But I think that it rubbed off on him and made him heavier. But they could never be like those bands. So this album just reflected their heavier approach. But you know, his songwriting will just shine through the way it is. You know, so and and just for a point of reference, if you guys want to hear what they sounded like pop, give a listen to Light Bulb Sun, the previous album. And um, there's a song on there called uh, There's a song on there. <laughs> I should remember all these songs, but actually, string arrangements on that album were done by Dave Gregory of XTC. And uh, that's that's a good example. It's a very English sounding oh. pop album. Mm-hmm. It still has some long songs. He was the great guitar player in XTC. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Um, and he did string. Yeah. He did string. He did string that? arrangements. Oh. Um, that's an excellent wow. album. That that I you know I didn't like their earlier stuff initially, and I heard that yeah, it's it's good. It's really good. So give Lightbulb Sun a listen sometime. Sure. Yep. So the next song is called "Strip the Soul." Oh, I'm glad you're playing that one. Uh, I don't have it here. Oh, oh. you just said you're going to play. I'm, look, oh, I'm looking. No, I'm looking at the teleprompter. It's. Uh, oh. It reminds me a little bit of Nine Inch Nails, a little bit of Led Zeppelin. I even hear a little bit of U2 in there. Perry, I was going to say the same thing. And to me, it sounds right? like. Yeah. It sounds like Bullet the Blue Sky by yeah. U2. Almost. Yep, yep, yep. Um, if, you know, U2 had a little more of like an edge to them at this point, but um, that's funny. I wrote U2 yeah. Prague on it. Uh, is my description of it. And strip the soul. It, the, the song lost me at the end, though. I kind of there's something the keyboard I, I, sound to me sound. I like the keyboard sound. It reminded me of No Quarter by Led Zeppelin, huh. which is one of my favorite Led Zeppelin songs. I kind of got it here. I don't know if you can hear it. So, um, so the next song is called Mark. Is this song called Dot Three? Yes, I think that's the song that Lou mentioned about a little reggae in the beginning, with the bass coming in. Yeah. Uh. No, okay. no. Uh, that one, I was the, the creator has a massive. Oh, okay. Name. That All one right. seems to have a little. To me, um, that that song is very English. That song, Dot Three, very theatrical. Could be in a movie. Well, it has like a, a bass groove pulse in the beginning. Yeah, I thought it was an instrumental, but it's not. It's there's a vocal yeah. at the end. At the end, <laughs> no, not nothing. Yeah, at the end. Yeah. Now I've got this song queued up. It's called Lips of Ashes. Lips of Ashes. Love that intro. Yes, you got you. You got this one. This has great vocal melodies. 
It's my well, favorite song in the whole album. Well, here's the thing. I was going to tell you about the vocals. That uh, It's a very ethereal song. Yeah. Right? Sounds Asian. I hear a little bit of yes in there. David Crosby. I, I Lou, we're on the same wavelength. I was going to say CSN and Y. I hear CSN, a little bit absolutely, of that. Absolutely. The way absolutely. they blended those vocals hey, in that, so right? Lou, very yes. astute yep. because Steve Wilson did say in a documentary when he was getting the vocal harmonies on these later records together, he was influenced by CSNY and Beach Boys. So good catch. Beach Boys. Oh, cool. That, yeah, that, that's, that's my favorite song on the whole album. Um, I love that intro. It's it's exotic sounding. Um, it's very dreamy. Very, I find this whole thing mostly mostly relaxing. Early Genesis, but the, but the vocals. I, I said that, I said David Crosby could sing that. Those backups, but uh, yeah, well, that's what he get hit. That's what he went for. He he certainly yeah. got it. Great yeah, song. Yep. Yeah. Um, uh, I'm very, I'm, I'm pleasantly surprised. I like I like this album as much as I as I do. Um, the sound yeah. of Muzak should have been a hit single. The hills are alive. Very, uh, very '90s sounding when you first hear it. it. Almost sounds like a grunge song when it first starts. Duncan Sheik. Yeah, you're in a Duncan Sheik chorus in this one. Yeah. And yeah, the vocals are great. And at times, it reminds me of Yes. And I like the way I like the fact that these guys, Steve Wilson, he wears his influence Absolutely. on his sleeves, and that's yeah. a great thing. This one sounded pretty accessible to me too. You know, like I said, you know, like you don't think of prog singles. You know what I mean? Right. It's like, you know, yep. you can't tap your foot in. Like, even though they do some, like, a lot of off-time you, stuff, you can. You remember K-Rock in New York, Lou and Perry? The station at Howard Service? I yeah, could yeah. hear that song on K-Rock yeah. when they had that kind of music they were playing. Mm. You, know? mm. you got it queued up? So there's a, the next song is a creepy song. Oh, no, okay. I don't have any more to uh, queue up. The next song is a creepy song. It's called Gravity yeah. Eyelids. Mm-hmm. I hear a little bit of Pink Floyd in there. Nice chord changes, but it's a creepy little song. Yeah. I, I, I wrote down unsettling. Well, now you know the serial killer, <laughs> the, the, killer yep. thing. <laughs> well, yeah, now, now you think about it. Now you really know the theme. I didn't read oh, much have, about the history of the album. I have though. the next song. I have one more queued up. It's the next song that I have on my list, even though it's out of sequence. <laughs> on, on, on the last song. Uh, on, you, all right. Yeah. Oh, I heard that already, right? What were we saying, Lou? On Gravity Eyelids, did you say you sounded grunge on, you, you um, grunge no, on I, that, or was that not? No, I heard a little Pink Floyd. Pink Floyd, uh, okay. I, I thought it was a creepy Actually, song. And, uh, I, heard, I heard Pacific I like Northwest grunge. See, on Sound of Music, I hear, yeah, listen, I have the intro queued up. Ready? Back in like grunge had that's, acoustic style songs, you know, and that, that's yeah. That was no, gravity. That was sound eyelids? of music. I was backing up there. I just wanted to play that. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Got a good chorus yeah. on it. Yeah. To, yeah. Course, so some of it reminds me of Led Zeppelin. Sometimes it reminds me of Led Zeppelin because it's big on riffs. Yeah. Uh, trains. Trains was always a Led Zeppelin song. This, uh, it sounded, you know, like Paige playing acoustic, you know? Yeah. Now, what's the song, uh, something about by the lay-by? Heart attack and a lay-by. That's the sad song about someone going home to make up their, their girlfriend, a, and they had a, a heart attack. 
It's a soft song. Yeah, it's it's a good song. Yep. And um, I like those high vocals. Yeah. They had a lot of high vocals in there, which is, yeah. which is that pretty was, cool. That was very related to their psychedelic phase. It could have been on one of their first albums. No, I think the last song I have is Collapse Light into the Earth. Yeah, right? that's their Requiem for 9-11. Collapse. That's a piano. It's a nice piano song. It's a good song. And it goes yep. into some great vocal melodies as well. Yeah, yeah. Yep. I, I, I hear some McCartney piano in there on the end, too. You hear many things, yeah. There's oh, some general polar. So overall, overall, the production on this record is unbelievably great. Paul, Steve and Wilson. Paul Northfield, great, great engineer. Great, great yeah. production on this. It's, everything sounds nicely blended. He was given a... He was given a lot it. of cash saying, I enjoyed it. have fun. His first experience at a big studio. He was like a kid in a candy store, but he didn't ruin it. He was very wise with it. Yep. I enjoyed it a lot. Good. Yep. I'm glad. And just a, a little coda there. After this album, they did uh, three more, two more albums. Three more albums. Dead Wing, Fear of a Blank Planet, which was their big hit. And The Incident. And then they went on hiatus. And uh, they're back together. They're back together. They have a new album called, uh, oh, that's it. And I'm seeing them next month at Radio City Music Hall. Can't wait. Yeah. Okay. So what's next on the agenda since we're uh, through with Porcupine And I hit the microphone too many times. It is this week's One Hit Wonder. With the a One cool Hit little, Wonder. With a cool little story. Um, and now a little correction from last week. Last week's One Hit Wonder was... Um, Part of the novelty song thing was called I'm a Nut. Uh, yeah, I kept calling yep. the artist Larry Pollen. It is not Larry. It is Leroy Pollen. I apologize to the Pollen family. Um, okay. And before we start, and along the way, since we're talking about kind of like 60s garage rock, uh, rest in peace, Judith Durham from The Seekers. She passed away the other day. Really? Yep. They're yep. Australian, I believe, uh, right? I think, I think they were. Yep. Georgie yeah. Girl. Georgie Girl. Great song. I'll never yeah. find another you. Uh, I always like that. I, I've seen a lot of videos of them playing live. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Okay. So this week's one hit wonder is truly, it's a one hit wonder. And the band is called the castaways from the twin cities, Minnesota. What are the twin cities in Minnesota? What are they called? Minneapolis, St. Paul. You got it. Uh, they're called the castaways. And the song is liar, liar. One hit wonder from. Oh, my God. 1965. It was number 12 on the Billboard Hot 100. Um, it's a great song. Want to hear a little bit of it before you go on? Well, yeah, let's hear it. Yeah, why not? Why not? Now, is that a girl singing? No, it is not. No. Uh, it is not. It, uh, it was a four-man band. Um, it's a guy. It's one of the guitar players. Um, that is a classic 60s. That is just garage rock. As Absolutely. If, if, you, yeah. if you needed a definition of garage rock, of, of many, that was one that would just be up there with, with all their other greats. Yeah. Um, yeah, so there was only their only hit single. Actually, it was number 12 in the Billboard, um, 65. Uh, it was written by two guys in the band, James Donna, who is, I think, the keyboard player. 
and Dennis Craswell was the drummer. Um, so yeah, they they did a follow up that was it was a little regional hit, I guess maybe where they're from, but I only count one hit wonders. It's got to be national. It's gotta, you know, everyone's got to heard. Yeah, it. yep. All right, I heard so, the song it, on the radio as a young boy. Yep. Well, Larry, Larry, I heard all the time. I thought the same thing. I thought it was a band with a girl in it. Um, their follow up single was called Goodbye Babe, released some in the sixties. Nothing. They didn't put out an. They never put out an album. Well, they put out a series of singles throughout the sixties, which didn't do anything. So they did a greatest hits album in '99, but that's really not. So they never mm-hmm. really put out an album. This is our the Castaways album. What was its highest uh, charting? N- number twelve in the U.S. Billboard. That's the only one I number saw. 12. I didn't see Canada. Um, I like to think it was number one in Canada, but probably not. Mm-hmm. Um, the members were uh, Denny Creswell drums, Jim Dunn on keyboards. Uh, the guitar players, the guy that sang the high falsetto part is Robert Falschow. The other guitar player is the late uh, Roy Hensley. And Dick Roby on bass guitar, he sang the lower part. So he sang, <clears throat> you listen to the first, he sings the, you know, the, the lower, yeah. and the other guy, the guitar player, sings the falsetto. There was a nifty little yeah. guitar solo in there, too. Yeah. Maybe we can play it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, it's, it's yep. and the, the keyboard's classic. I don't know what kind of keyboard that was. A Farfisa, maybe. Yeah, it kind of <laughs> sounds like a Farfisa to me. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, now, the song's got a little, nice little history because it was uh, featured in Good Morning Vietnam, Lock, Stock, and That's Two Smoking right. Barrels, and Married to the Mo- Okay, yeah, did you? Yeah. Okay. Uh, yep. Did you see Married yes. to the Mob? Debbie Harry does yep. a cover of it in there. Um, and now, but they did an appearance in a movie in 1967 called It's a Bikini World. It's a beach movie. Maybe I think it's the only one that was directed by a woman. And evidently, it had some feminist themes. You know, the girl, you know, the... A female leads competing with the male and probably eats mm-hmm. some surf things. <laughs> um, so, but in the movie was um, an actor named Robert George Pickett. Have you ever heard of Robert George Pickett? His nickname was Boris. So oh. Robert. Mm-hmm. So he yeah. was the Bobby Boris Pickett. That's playing the monster mash oh. from yep. last week's novelty song. So he was in the movie. Uh, Tommy, Tommy Kirk, who was in Son of Flubber, and I think he won the Oscar for that. And one of the girls, women that played Gidget, Deborah Wally. But the musical groups that were cool, there were the Gentries. Remember the Gentries? Keep on dancing. Oh, yeah, yeah. The Animals did We Gotta Get Out of This Place. They performed in it. And um, Pat and Lolly Vegas, um, you know who they were. They were two brothers. They became Redbone. Oh. So they wow. formed two, they formed two of them uh, musicians. I think they were Mexican and American. They were in... They were, I think they called them Redbone is a Cajun term for a mixed race person. So they were, that was their thing, you know. So, but wow. then, so it was, it was a thing. Uh, Come and get your love. Was that them? That was a big hit. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 So they became Redbone and, uh, and the castaways, uh, thing it too. Also, the, the toys were in it. Remember the band called Toys, an all girl group from Jamaica, Queens? Mm, no. Uh, ever hear of the song A Lover's Concerto? Yes, yes. It's based on an 18th century uh, composition. It was called Minuet in G Major, and that's where they use the music. It, got, it has that yeah. kind of feel. Richard Thompson probably covered it. Richard Thompson probably covered it. That one came out in 65. Yeah, so that was it. There were. Truly, a truly a one-hit wonder, and I think it's cool that they only put out singles. Mm. Because, yeah. yeah, let's play a little bit more of it. Oh, by the way, the yeah. single comes in less than two minutes. Even better, the AM single is like so, a, a minute forty-five. Uh, 
how long is the letter by the box tops? Is it's less than I think a minute twenty? Maybe yeah. So th- this is probably well, up there with some. That'd be a great category. Shortest rock song. Let's yeah. Let's see if we can get the guitar solo in here. That's a great solo. I thought that was a woman. There's that girl singing again. You know, the scene in Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels where this song is in is an incredible bar fight. And uh, you know how Guy Ritchie, when really? he directs, really? he has those weird scenes with 3D it. imaging. So you see, like, mm-hmm. uh, beer mugs coming down, but just before it's a guy's head, it stops, and then, like, they do, like, a 3D motion. Yeah, it's a perfect bar oh, fight wow, scene. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yep. Yeah. That's, that's what's cool about music like that is, you know, it pops up in yeah. places. Um, Louie and I were driving in the car the other day, and we heard that Statler Brothers song, Watching Shadows on the Wall Doesn't Bother Me at All. Like, Louis, what, what was it? of a movie. <laughs> yeah. you know, Pulp Fiction. I said, Louie, remember Pulp Fiction? He goes, oh, yeah, this was in Pulp Fiction. So as we're going through, a, we're going through a light, some guy's crossing. I said, well, i got to run this guy over because it's Marcellus Wallace, and he's going to recognize us. But um, it's just those... The way they play songs like that, and the fact yeah. that you know, they're they're they're, they're eternal. They yeah. really are. Yeah. I mean, and that was one of those. That's one of those groups where you you know I knew the song, but I didn't know that the group was yeah. called the Castaways. Yeah, I didn't you either. Know, they are. Yeah. So they're from Minneapolis, St. Paul. Yep. Now they were inducted into the Iowa Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I don't know why. Maybe one of them was from Iowa. Maybe no. I, maybe there were that song was just big in Iowa. They used on the football team. It's a midwestern know. thing. Yeah. Yeah. I guess, well, I guess so. Yeah. 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 Yep, it's sort of. Yeah, that was a good one. Well, I hope you like that one. Hope you like that. One. I I do. And yep. I, so, I'm, a, I'm a sucker for a garage rock song. Always will. Be. Now I can yeah, look it up yeah, online because yep. I know the group that did it. That's great. You know, uh, the other night I was. Uh, I sometimes I fall asleep watching Every television. Night. Every night for me. <laughs> Who doesn't? Right. So uh, so I'm laying there, right, and I look up and I just like open uh, open my eyes. And I look at the television, and I'm I'm looking at, and it says Bob Weir. I'm like, yeah, I'll I'll watch something on Bob Weir. It was Barb Wire, a movie with Pam Anderson. <laughs> wow! So it was easy for me to, you know, not have my glasses on and go Bob <laughs> Weir, Bob Weir, Barb Wire. So it was. So needless to say, I didn't watch you the Pam Anderson Bobby movie. Weir. He's sexy, damn. <laughs> He's acting. <laughs> yeah. All right. So, um, what do we got next, Lou? Do you want to? Well, well, you know what? I have I have something too, Lou. You you mentioned a, a novelty song last week, right? Yeah. And let me just play a little bit of this novelty song that you spoke of. Ooh, cool! And this is this this is the B side of the song. All right. It's the flip side to the coming to take me away. Haha. <laughs> Just as creepy. It, it was the B side was all oh, backwards. Wow. Kind of sounds Russian. <laughs> we can hear all the satanic messages in it. Sir. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Wow. I should I should kill, kill them. Kill them. 
I should have put my mask on for that, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but the, so the flip side to the, the B side to come and take them away is the whole song in reverse. Yep. Now I sent it to you guys last night. Um, yeah, you did. It, you sent it. Yeah. You know, I, I listened to it. I read the lyrics. I, this stuff yeah. is sick. That, I mean, Mark, I, I, that, yeah. I don't know why that didn't scare me more. It scared the crap out of me. And then I started playing, but it's kind of like the bird is a word. It gets in your head. And you can't get at Yeah. So I was playing it on my phone, and aunt, my son and, goes, just shut it off, Dad. I'm like, no. <laughs> like, no. It's an earwig, yeah. Yeah, but also, I mean, in the world, the realm of mental health, I mean, you can't write those lyrics. That's a song you really couldn't write. And it's a funny farm with you the know? nice trees. <laughs> right. Here, here come the men with the white coats. and uh, what, are they, what are they playing? They're, they're knitting things or something? Everyone's calm. Yeah. Wow. But, uh, you know, it was novelty. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. You know it was novelty also? and. Uh, the No No song what? by Ringo that we didn't mention. Oh, yeah. that one. The No No song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Which I think he, I think he didn't want to do uh, that. Was was it Harry Nielsen pressured him to do it or talked him into doing it or no, something? No, was, was that Hoyt Axton? It was Hoyt Axton. Hoyt Axton wrote that song. Yeah, really. Yeah, because I I read about one of those Laurel Canyon books. Mark, you know who Hoyt Axton? Oh uh, yeah, right? Gremlins. <laughs> right, exactly, exactly. He he was in another movie where his gut split open. It wasn't Grumman. It was Robert Urich, some species movie, endangered yes. people species. Yeah, Pretty good that. movie though. But his gut, yeah, yeah, ends it, ends it. Uh. Anyway, but he was he was like a vampire of Loyal Canyon. I couldn't picture. He seemed like one of those Uncle Cowboy types, you know, like Don Williams. You know, <laughs> but he'd be carousing the the, you know, the the Laurel Canyon hills in search of a party. You know, pretty cool. So, Lou, you have a you have a story about the Winterland Ballroom. Yeah, yeah, I do. I mean, it's the Winterland Ballroom was one of those classic rock venues, and I was thinking how many I think I've been to venues that I've been to that could be considered like you were there, and there's not a whole lot. I'm not a big where is guy. the Winterland Ballroom? It was in San Francisco, California. Um, but like I've been to Madison Square Garden, the Beacon Theater. Uh, the old Passaic Theater, uh, the Capitol Theater in Passaic, yeah. New Jersey, was a good theater, Barry. You've yeah, been there. I've been there. Uh, Mark, did you get to yeah. go there? Yeah. I loved it. Okay, yeah. I saw, I saw Blur Chicago. Great acoustics in that theater. Yeah. 3,000 yeah. seats. Yep, that's yep. enough. Um, but I've never been to, any, like, you know, Madison Square Garden. I've never been to Nassau Coliseum. I don't consider stadiums. And that's just that's a giant but, hole. I'll tell you something. Real quick. No, it's, yeah. it's a giant bowl with when TV to, screens. Yeah. They have to blow There's you away with volume. something about Nassau Coliseum. We grew up with Meadowlands, which was an antiseptic, terrible arena. When you go to Nassau Coliseum, yeah. it's in—it's almost in a residential neighborhood. When you park in the parking lot, you see a CVS across the street. When you go in there, it's total seventies. Yeah. It's even now, like it's on. I, I went there two years ago. Totally seventies. Like you, you, yeah, you feel. Yeah. It's well, I'm glad it's, it's still uh, there. It's smaller than mm-hmm. the Meadowlands. Definitely smaller than MSG. So it's not cozy. It's an arena, but it's an old-fashioned hockey arena. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's, it's a cool place. Okay. Anyway, sorry. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. Well, anyway, no, that's I was that's what I was saying. Like, I mean, people have been to like uh, Scott McLean from Mill Crates and Turntables podcast. Uh, check them out. Um, he talked about was it the Boston the yeah, Boston Gardens. Gardens. Yeah. So like, you know, there's different places all throughout the country, but um, but the Winterland Ballroom it was originally an ice skating rink uh, built in the 30s. Um, that could really could, yeah you could apparently you could convert it into an entertainment area. Like that's like a in the round type thing maybe. Um, it was on the corner of Post Street and Steiner Street in San Francisco. Um, Bill Graham, the legendary concert promoter, Bill Graham, eventually turned mm-hmm. it into a music venue in 1971, and it became 
a music venue thereafter. He would rent it out before that. Um, so it was available. So what he did in, I think in 66, yes, uh, he rented it out for many shows, but one was the Jefferson Airplane with the Paul Butterfield Blues Band. Um, and he also had the Fillmore Auditorium, the Fillmore West, where it, that was like an over, overflow with things that couldn't hold yeah, at the bigger yep. places they play, the play Winterland. Um, it, was, it was originally called the New Dreamland Auditorium, which sounded familiar. I thought maybe someone had a live album called that. But they hosted Ice Follies Opera. There was boxing matches. There were all kinds of stuff. Um, actually, it opened in 1928. So Bill Graham, it's in 71 to 78, it was Bill Graham. Um, but amongst other things, like on New Year's Eve shows, the Tubes and Floyd Eddie, Flo and Eddie played there. Um, I'm going to give a list of artists that have played there. And these are rock acts. I mean, I'll admit Bruce Springsteen, the Rolling Stones, Jay Giles, the Who, Black Sabbath, James Gang, Mahogany oh, Rush. Frank Marino, yeah. Mahogany Rush, yeah. Uh, Quicksilver Messenger Service, UFO, Ario Speedwagon, Queen, Slade, Boston, Cream played there, yes, Fleetwood Mac, Kiss, The Doors, Hendrix, Steppenwolf, Leonard Skinner, Sticks, Van Morrison, the Ulm Brothers, Grateful Dead owned the place. Uh, the band, of course, Big Brother and the Holding Company, Jethro Tull, Pink Floyd played there. Ten years after, Rush, ELO, David Bowie, Genesis, Santana, Jefferson Airplane Traffic, Goldeneering, Grand Funk, Humble Pie, Bob Sears, Sex Pistols, ELP, Shana and Loggins and Messina, Deep Purple, Journey. I mean, wow. it's huge. A spirit play there. Frank Zappa and the Mothers, Foghat, Elvis Costello. Um, I got this right out of, off of Wikipedia. Actually, I'm reading my phone. Led Zeppelin did the first performance of Whole Lot of Love there. And Grateful Dead, right? Um, so it's a, did they every, film, did, everyone who played did there. They film, did they film everything? Like at the Capitol Theater, they had their own video system yeah. for recording all the shows. I don't know if they – I didn't see what they recorded shows, but they filmed – you know, obviously they did film movies there. Um. Uh, the actually the the Sex Pistols did their last show there in January of uh, seventy seventy eight. That's where that was. Yeah. That infamous. You feel you've been cheated. Yeah, that was it. Was that, that, that was their that Winterland. Was at the Winterland. Yep. Yeah. Um, Friend that comes alive recorded. Parts of Friend that comes alive were recorded at Winterland. I thought it was this outdoor thing in Brazil. It just sounded like there was a million people, but no, no, no. no. Did, did you know at that? The garden. Okay. Some was that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, the concert films. Sean and I did one. Kiss did Kissology Volume One. I have there. that. Concert film? Uh, I don't know what's the on that. The Sex Pistols, yeah. the, the Filth and the Fury or the Filth and the Filthy or something. Um, Almonds did a live album there, Big Brother with Janice. Uh, Cream Wheels of Fire, record there. It's, a, it, it's mistakenly attributed to another venue. I forgot what it was, but it was, it was that. ELO did a live album, Hendrix. I mean, Loggins, Loggins and Messina did a live album there. Bruce did uh, Parts of Bruce Springsteen's Live 75 to 78 are from the Winterland. Um. Oh, but the, uh, the the band did the last. Just going to ask you there. That were um, the yeah. The classic. I was yeah. just going to ask you that too. Right. That was at the Winterland. That was Ball. at the Winterland Ball on uh, Thanksgiving Day, nineteen seventy six. So it closed two years later. So they closed on a New Year's Eve of a few years later. Um. Yeah, but the band recorded. I mean, that's what, considered one of the greatest concert movies of all yep. time. Um. I, yeah. I I agree. You know, there's some there's some. In fact, Robbie Robinson, acts, you know? before the show, had his uh, Stratocaster dipped in bronze paint yeah. Yeah. for the show. Well, you know who closed the theater yep. down, right? He played, he played very well that night. Well, yeah, the, the Grateful yeah. Dead, they did a marathon show. The Grateful Dead played, I don't know, they did a, it was, wait, New Year's Eve. They, they came They came yeah. on at 12 midnight. Day 79. Yeah, Bill Graham was in a giant joint that came down to the stage. And they came and they played ah, four... Wow. They played five hours. They played till five a.m. I have the whole show on DVD. They played three full sets, and, that, 
And then uh, they serve breakfast to everybody after the show. So <laughs> it's cool. At the show. And new- oh, we're losing. And that same day. Wow. We're losing audio. We're losing who? Can, can you hear him? Really? Yeah. He just came back in. I'm just try the little yeah. thing in the back okay. of your mic. Make sure it's tight. Yeah. Okay. I hear you. Yep. Am I good? Okay. But so, um, New Riders of the Purple Sea. Winterland wait, wait, Ballroom. Wait, wait, so, it, Perry, it, it existed for what? As a music venue from 71 to 1928, as the ice rink and. That's what I was going to ask. Venue, from yeah. 71 to 79? Yeah. So, yeah. Well, yeah. New Year's Day, 79 it closed. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Panama Red was there. Song, yes. I think. Uh, New Riders of the All Purple right. Sage. How are we doing? Is that better? Ten mile, yeah. Lou, your you microphone's cutting in and out. Maybe there's a loose connection in the back. Panama red. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. My record button's still going. Panama red. Panama red. Something yeah, so that was, that was pretty much head. that was the Winterland Winterland ball. Yeah. Yeah. And yep. now it's yep. it's apartment buildings. Isn't that isn't that terrible? Yeah. Yeah. So. I mean, you're living above a spot. Yeah, you're, yeah right. Really? You're living above a spot that, that just had all that well, happen. Even the last well, waltz alone. I mean, cream, that's progress. A cream, cream plate. All those musicians that got up there and just burned the place, you know? And that's just, yeah. <clears throat> so you, if you go out to, you know, San Francisco, you, you know, you go, you go sightseeing, nothing's there, probably. Well, yeah. I mean, I've never yep. been there except the airport. But, you know, this, this, is, where, this is where the Winterland was, and, and it's, you know, someone's getting their mail, <laughs> you know? Yeah, the Capitol Theater in Passaic is gone. Yeah. Right, or maybe there's a little thing on the sidewalk there that says former side of the Winterland yep. Ballroom or something, right? A placard. Uh, yeah. It's like on the walk hey, through the studio that Bruce on, recorded in. At the closing of the Winterland on yeah. uh, the New Year's Eve, it was yeah. Grateful yep. Dead, the New Riders of the Purple Stage, and there was another band that played there. Yeah. They're not on the, they're not on the DVD. Your DVD is just the, the the dead clothes. It was the Blues Brothers. The the Blues Brothers. Uh, the blue. Yeah. yeah, it's just the dead set. I know yeah. who the other band. Who was the other band? <laughs> yeah, Rubber Biscuit. I would, yep. I would think so. You're kidding. It's not the Blues Brothers without Steve really? Cropper and Duck Dunn. Steve Cropper yep. was there. Is that Steve Jordan guys? on drums. I, well, they, oh, yeah, I think. And since Duck Dunn, yeah. And yeah. since the dead didn't come on until midnight, they had to have music yeah, for a I don't long know. time. So you had probably two full concerts before they came on. And when they count down to midnight, the guy on the PA huh. saying Happy oh, okay. New Year is Dan Aykroyd. So it's Happy New Year. And he's just, you know, going great. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And, and Perry, the concert That's, was, that was five a great hours. gig. Yeah. Okay. You better feed me after that. Um, I'm going to be starving. The de- oh, the dead set was five hours? Yeah. <laughs> wow gosh so i have a little i'd like right. to play a little sample of love me do by the beatles with pete best playing drums we've heard you know john lennon said we we sacked him pete because he was a horrible drummer so i listened to it and there's definitely tempo issues here so i'll i'll just uh Play a few seconds of it so we don't get a lawsuit from... Uh... Best. Yeah. There you hear it. I'll fast forward to where he tempos up. 
Some tempo issues. <laughs> He's speeding up. His drum fills are horrible. Yeah. Yeah, they are. Yeah. And this is why they sacked him. It had yeah. nothing to do with, uh, you know, you read the girls these, were just Well, he was too upset. cute. Um, and Paul you know, was it, jealous. Like, that alone is just listening to his playing. What's I mean, going it's very on? Very stiff, very unimaginative. Um, there is. Yeah. You couldn't swing a sack of shit. Very yeah, absolutely. I mean, sorry, dude. Yep. I mean, hey, I've been fired from a job. <laughs> what are you do? Um, but, but from the drumming, when you hear when that, when they, that other part comes, it's sped up, and then there, like Mark said, those drum fills are terrible. I mean, that does. I'll, I'll let, 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 let's do it. Well, I have a little more where the tempo gets even worse. All right. <laughs> oh. Now watch how bad this is. Now George no. Martin it, said the 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 tempo is bad. Can't, go, and can't get by. You guys are never sure. going to make it. It sounds like he's not kind of sure. Drumming. He knows what he and wants he right. to do there. It's a Ringo was clear, but Ringo knew where, where he was going. He sounds like he's just you know mm. hanging on. Right. As it Ringo goes was creative. Um, yeah, and it's it's stiff as a board. I he's mean, also overplaying. I, I had, I had a not argument with a coworker. Yeah. Yep. And he goes, "It wasn't that Pete Best was a bad drummer. He just wasn't a good Beatle." And I'm like, no, he was not a good Beatle and he was not a good drummer. He was two, two, two strikes and you're out, you know? The fact that you're good looking is probably what saved him. Otherwise, what was the point, you know? No. That yeah. and, that and, hey, Pete, your mom yep. had a baby with Pete Shotton. Oh, no, it was, um, yeah, no, but he also was, wouldn't yeah, get a Beatle Neil haircut. Aspinall. Neil Aspinall shagged your mom, Pete. <laughs> so, <laughs> he's actually close to his half brother. Neil Aspinall, yeah. I'm going to get my ass kicked for this. Yep. No. But he was not a good drummer. And no matter how many times he goes on television and says, they sacked me. And he still gets royalties. He gets royalties for that yeah. particular song I just played from the yeah. Beatles anthology. Yeah. He, he gets, they um, yeah. they took care of him for that. They Maybe a better those, uh, would be if you took the embarrassment of Tony Sheridan. Yeah. Um, have you ever heard those, Mark? They do like My Bonnie. I mean, it's, yeah, they, yeah. Mm. That I mean, I'm yes. thinking my body yes. wasn't that bad anthology. unless I'm just mistaken. Yeah. And then you go back in the middle. The middle's mm. at half speed. No, but it wasn't bad. I, but it, that song didn't require. No, any it wasn't finesse. bad at all. Yeah. It, it was a. Yeah, it was my Bonnie. So it was very much like their, yeah. their their bar their bar act, which I guess he he was passable. They played all those like songs that. fast too. You know, yeah. and, uh, those English bands. So right. I was yep. thinking maybe Dave Clark was a better drummer than I give him credit for. I was thinking yeah. he just did yep. that stomping. Do you love me? But I, there's some. Unless he just didn't play on the album, but he did a hell of a rim shot. Yeah, that's uh, a fascinating individual. You know, I, I've been, 
I've been reading about drummers yeah. a bit, and um, so they yeah. have the traditional grip, right? The the traditional grip with yeah. the one on the side, and then the match grip is where they hold. Like most drummers that I see, <laughs> well, play match grip. Yeah, a lot, a lot of the, well, well, most holding them in their hands. That's the traditional the side grip that one, which is a jazz thing. Holding Buddy a drum Rich on your side grip, it, right? Uh, yeah, on your left side is you're marching into battle to get shot because you're not holding a gun, and you're drumming. It, it was done with the left hand like that because it, it was more. This right. is awkward as opposed to doing that. So, so I get you right. Yeah, but I don't. I don't know of oh, any rock Charlie drummer Watts. I've ever seen that played Levon the Hill. traditional grip. Do you know of any? Yeah, uh, Neil 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 Charlie, Peer, well, did a lot. The jazz thing again, uh, right? He did. A, he did. A, later he, on, yeah, yeah, right. Uh, yeah. Later on, Neil Peart played the. Neil Pert played he went the, to it uh, the with the Chester grip. Echo album. He went to that drum instructor, and mm. I noticed, and I'm not a drummer, but I noticed that when he went to that, his drumming changed. Mm. And it probably saved him because it's, he was it, still it, able to play I so much Matt, better you know, with the pain because he was you know, doing it that holding the same. Uh, Ringo always seemed to always play match, match grip. I learned to play traditional later on. So, um, actually, Perry, our song, What a Day, number nine, mm -hmm. I played traditional grip on that. It's, it's Yeah, it's looser than it is. I, I, I did it. I think it out okay but it's looser than i would normally play oh you did really not as i you know it's, it's a different different feel um but the, i'm trying to think of some others all off the top it's Stuart copeland um yeah and if you see him doing it i mean he's i find it hard to yes. get power Good. more power yeah. than i would doing like that um but he's like slamming a snare drum but he's probably been doing it all his life um my son louis can play that group better than me more so because he's done that march event yeah, Which he yeah, joined marching band again. Boy, yeah, yeah. Well, um, excellent. Another one. Paul, Paul Weller had a drummer called Alan White. Cool. That's the same guy. It's another Alan White. Yeah, he was with them in Style mm -hmm. Council, and he was on I don't know maybe the first five Paul Weller albums. And if you ever see any live Weller with him, he's my favorite in that style because he's so English. He's so behind the beat. He's coming into the song when everyone else is done. But I just love the guy. He's great. Yeah, it's, it's definitely adds to the. If you I, I if hear you it's a lot harder. Exactly. To play. Oh, I think you so. Know I think so. You, have, you have to learn how to do it. You if you've been playing a regular there. way. And, and find ways to get, yeah. like I said, in yeah. particular, getting more of a, a power hit, holding yeah. it like that, which it can be done. It's just a matter of reacclimating yourself to do it differently. But I don't know if that saves you in the long run or whatever, but yeah. it's, fun, it's fun to know. Yeah. In fact, I saw a little uh, a little twenty minute documentary on Stuart Copeland. He was yeah. down in New Orleans. You know, of course, he's a student of drums. He, you know, he loves all these African beats and mm -hmm. all these, okay. you know, sort of different beats. And he and yeah. everyone, I everyone down in New Orleans played. And, uh, well, a lot of them come from that like kind of drum and bugle corner. Yeah. Every like drummer he spoke to where it's played the traditional. It's, it's necessary. Yeah, or if you're marching into battle to get shot, if you don't have a gun. You're throwing drums. That's kind of a New Orleans thing, yeah. Yep. So, so yeah. Where, where I learned about that was the Test for Echo album. Neil Peart did a uh, video where he played every song to the track, and you watched them. They had the you know the camera over them. It's an instructional thing, but he was explaining about yeah. he would do fills right. You know, I forgot what you call it, where you just have this, and then he would do the same fill with the other method. Huh. And he's right. Like, there's a delay, and he liked it. He preferred it, you know. And uh, I could, at that point, I understood drumming. Then afterwards, I, I don't understand how drummers do what they do. But when, it was when, when you see like when you, 
can see, see what they here. do like Massive. that, you know, gives you a better idea as opposed to standing in front of them sometimes. I, I got to sit behind him at a Rush concert where I was like four, maybe three rows, yeah. three, four rows yeah. back, and I, I got to watch him off behind the side. I'm like, this is really cool. Yeah, I, 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 the seat, it was a Christmas present, my, me and my brother. Oh, nice. The seats kind of sucked. Nice. For me, they were great, you know. Any drummer in the earth you know, was like, a, freaking cool. It's like, it's like, you know, it's like eavesdropping on while he was playing. You could see what he was doing behind. Uh, give you a better perspective. You know, when I'm looking at someone forward, it seems like it seems reversed because that's how they're yeah. doing it. But when you're watching, you get to see how they do it. I know something. I'm, I'm left-handed, but I play right-handed. There are things I can't do with my left hand to go yep. across the kit, but the other way around, it's it, there we go. I hit the mic. See, I'm left-handed. So. Like hitting the mic. <laughs> I like um, that little. I like that Ringo yeah, so thing too, where he was saying how he plays with his elbow. And how you know he's yeah. lefty playing a right you know, kit. He starts out so he that's why his fills are always hand, a so little like a, a half a step right to get to the behind, sometimes. which is great. You know, it's it's yeah, yeah, well, right, yeah, yeah, right. I, I so he has to roll on. this way from game. left to right, as to where a lot of drummers come back the opposite um, way. Fire your rota. We're um we're what is on. <laughs> so back to the low tech days. So let me let me just say one thing. Speaking of tempo tempo changes, I was actually talking while you were fixing. I was doing the whole thing. You're like, hey, um, there's another song from the '60s that had a really bad tempo change. Next time you listen to "Living in the USA" from Steve Miller, do you ever listen to that? The, the drummer slows yeah. down big time in the middle yeah, of that. Many times, just listen. He's like doing, doom, doom, and I don't know if it's meant to be that way, but I it just bothers the hell out of me. It's like, come on. The seventies, the seventies. I don't know who Gary Malibu because he had a great drummer at one time in yeah. his career. I guess uh, Gary Malibu, the drummer on like the, um, Fly Like an Eagle, seventies. Yeah, what was the album he had a great drummer, Book of Dreams. Yeah. He's the drummer on Bruce Springsteen's Lucky Town. Right? That's 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 when I saw that's him. Gary the Mallard. drummer was yeah. great. The drummer was outstanding. And also, um, really, he played a, oh, he, no, he was on the Human Touch record. Uh, there was two records. Carol was, was that, so that, that must have come out right before he died. Oh, and it was yes, third, okay. was it? Mark sent me a clip. It was thirty years ago. Was it a couple days ago? Yeah, Carl yep. died. Ninety-two. Yep. Yeah. Yep. You know, this morning when I woke up, I put on the television and uh, this Eric Clapton documentary was on called Life in 12 Bars, I think it was. And they, I liked the segment when they were with Cream. He did, bo- he did both because trips, by the way. He did match. He showed a lot of Ginger Baker, and, and this guy was equal, equally genius. Butt, Ginger Baker. Yeah, he, he's the butt, the butt end. Yeah, and it seems Lee to me Bond like he played the bottom of his snare hand. Sometimes. Yeah, the stick turned around. Like he didn't the little tip. I never, I never liked that. Right, I never thought end, the yeah. need to do that. It, to me, it just seemed like I was going to break something. Um, I don't know. If that was even. I don't know if that's even necessary. I guess it's necessary for them, but I never felt. I never felt the <clears throat> get heavier drum set. Well, no. Yeah. You, yeah, you well, can the good thing is you, have, you also have a, sticks on my, on my kit. You have an electronic I, kit. I've, I've you can bang down, that I think, thing. You know, uh, since you get older, right? you, you, know, you don't need the biggest sticks in the world. You know, it's but right now I, I use like a glorified jazz stick, even for like live gigs. It's about all you need. When I used to play live gigs. Now let me ask you, Lou. Let me ask you from a how about from the, a, uh, now 
I don't know if you ever seen you play, but Lee Von Helm, back then when the 70s, when the drummer sang, the, the mic was like at this level. So do you think he played that way to stay out of the way of the mic? He, he, like he, it worked from, the he was kind of hunched over while he was like, playing, he, singing like, into the mic. Look at me now, you know? I'm leaning this way, here's the hi-hat. Almost like up and over. Like To me, I, I like I like mine, mine goes dead on. Because the, the twist yeah. like that, I, I, it's like trying to see, you know, your throat's supposed to be kind of clear in a way. But yeah. That was Levon Helm. You know? But it, it seemed like maybe that maybe he just did that just, that was most way he right. felt comfortable. Maybe that was a way yeah. to keep away, right. out of the way of the drums too. I, I don't know. Because you know, otherwise, if you if you wear the headset, you, you, just, you just look like an air traffic controller, mm. no matter what you're doing. And you know, so, you know that thing comes. Well, there was the guy. Uh... Uh, Simon Kirk. <laughs> Who was the drummer from Bad Company? Max Max Weinberg used to do that. That guy, every time he hit it, his the the, the stick went over his head. Don't you know (laughs) you are a shootist? You know what I noticed about those little side mics? It comes down to the side of your mouth. (laughs) When I first got one, I thought you had to sing like this. I didn't know it was like a unidirectional. I thought you had like sing like like a Dennis Wilson injury. (laughs) 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 Right. Dennis Wilson. He didn't. <laughs> That's what I meant. Or Brian Wilson. Hey, Dennis. <laughs> Brian Wilson on tour. <laughs> we know we covered everything. Well, guys, we covered we're, everything. we're at an hour and 10 minutes. What do you want to we're, We went from on? Do you want to uh, sign off? Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, it was a good gig, man. I I, I really yep. enjoyed the uh, Winterland Ballroom uh, segment and uh, Porcupine Tree. The, the any, guy's any, a great producer. And if man. anyone's look personal for me, but if anyone's listening to the show and yeah. I never heard of Porcupine Tree, just give him a chance. Sat gave me the chance, and I let. I... Yeah, well, you know what? I'll I'll try and link it in the description yeah, yeah. underneath when this gets posted up, and. Um, Yep. So, like Subs- Lou always says, you know, if you if you on like YouTube, this, yep. uh, the show, like, click like and subscribe whatever, on YouTube. Right? If you're on Facebook, you, we, I post the show during the week yeah. when the show is live. And uh, let me just say a quick shout out to Scott <laughs> McLean and his great show, McLean and Turntables, Milk Crates and Turntables. We did great, great half of a Bruce Springsteen yeah, yeah. show Wednesday night, yep. two and a half hours. Uh, guy can talk, and he knows his he knows. Rumor has it all be on this Wednesday. I heard part yeah. of the show. Yeah, it was you guys were good. Yep, that's a rumor. But I, vo- but I volunteer. Rumors. We don't know. But if anyone that likes us, it will anyone that likes us, you will like Mo Crates and Turntables. Same kind of show. They know their stuff. Yeah, absolutely, they do. Yep. Yeah. Scott McLean and Jack, Jack yeah. All right. All right. Music Relish Podcast. Well, anyway, Music uh, Relish Podcast. So guys, let's go for it. The closing Just scene. Get rid of right? that guitar solo. And uh, gmail.com. Yep. Land the plane. And um, any day now. Drop the needle. Put the another needle dime on. in the jukebox. Try right. Drop the needle on the turntable. <laughs> Yep. <laughs> I've, I've had a technical issue here. You know, your donation Sorry, goes very guys. far to PBS. Please consider donating. $10, you'll get a piece of gum. For $100, you'll get a tote bag. For $300, For $200, you'll get a, a bobblehead and a music relish podcast. Yep. For those longer shows where we go where we go over an hour.
You can use it for five hundred. <laughs> and for five hundred, you'll get a Weezer Music Relish <laughs> hash pipe. No, just joking. Just joking. Uh, yeah, I hope you enjoyed it. <laughs> Don't know anything about and, that. And total. Yep. <laughs> Reference our other episodes too, because we got like seven of them now. <clears throat> and we do short. We do short films as well yeah, for those and, who have uh, attention span. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Yeah. We, we do some short clips. That's me. Are you going to cut this one up? You're going to chop this one up? Yes, we do. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, if it's not working, it's cool. We can uh, say goodnight. No, no. My good night. Yeah. Uh, good good night, guys. And uh, See you next time. See you next time. Oh, Lou left. Goodbye. <laughs>